Welcome to the Sales in the Subscription Economy podcast, season one, episode five. I'm Amanda Northcutt of subscriptioncoach.com, and my guest today is Steve Smith, global head of sales for Miyagi. Steve has an impressive educational and professional background, having put in time at both Stanford and Harvard, and has held sales leadership positions at both Uber and Yelp, among others. Miyagi is the only channel sales enablement platform that helps you sell better by letting you deliver the right knowledge to the right people at the right time across multiple employees, teams, regions, and even other companies. Steve, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Good to be here. We are really excited to have you um, share some sales wisdom with us today. Let's dive into the 12 questions. If you could start by just telling us a little bit about your sales career, where you've been, how you got to where you are now, and a little bit about Miyagi. Appreciate the question. Uh, so my, my subscription economy career spans about the last 13, 14 years um, and started as, actually in San Francisco as one of the first salespeople for a company which at the time no one has heard of um, called Yelp. Mm-hmm. Um, and while, while I was there, we became kind of the, the um, company that people have heard of, which, which was a really fun experience. Um, and while I was there, I got the chance to really um, cut my teeth on um, building startups and most importantly, um, both transactional and enterprise sales. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've in between Yelp and this other company, Uber, that you mentioned, um, I was actually a part of the sales and actually executive leadership teams of four companies, one which is still operating today, um, one which was shut down and two of which were purchased. One by Square, um, which is a local business uh, point of sale and payments solution, um, and uh, one by Trustpilot, which is a really well-known reputation management company. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I got a chance to work for Uber, um, I actually joined as their head of global sales for Uber Everything, which is kind of a Uber uh, business to business or um, moving stuff side of the company. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we got to try something like 20 different industries and trying to figure out different things you could put in the back of a Prius, <laughs> basically what that meant. Um, and so what, what we really found out was that Uber Eats um, and the food delivery space was the most logical um, opportunity to move stuff in the back of a Prius mm-hmm. that we could find in, in North America and eventually the world. Um, and since then, I spent some time in um, sales leadership in the financial services industry. And now with Miyagi, um, I'm really getting to bite down on what I think might be my favorite part of the subscription economy, which is actually a huge part of it, it turns out, um, the, the channel sales space. Um, this is basically where um, companies that don't make the products sell the products that other companies make. Mm-hmm. Um, and really helping multiple companies come together and the people inside of them come together to sell better together using software that is explicitly designed to empower sales teams to learn from product teams um, and marketing teams in companies that you know aren't part of theirs. Yeah. And that's been that's been a really exciting 
um, opportunity over the course of the last year. Company was started actually in Melbourne, Australia. Um, and so we've got three global offices um, and we get to work with global, uh, I guess you would call them uh, brands really uh, in all sorts of different industries to connect them to their distribution channels. That's incredible. And I'm sure your breadth of experience and background and resume is really, really helping um, Miyagi just do an incredible job uh, bringing the sales enablement toolkit to your customers. So um, what an incredible opportunity. I'm sure they're very happy to have you. So thank you for telling us a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. My, my pleasure. It's been, it's been an honor to help build the, the teamwork that really helps other companies um, to foster cross-company collaboration. Yeah, it has far-reaching effects. That's really cool. Yeah. yeah. Tell me what sources you rely on to stay up to date on the sales and sales management profession. And that could be books, blogs, podcasts, conferences, networking groups, anything. It's a great question. Um, the answer has changed over the course of the last decade or so, as I'm sure, and I'm sure that's not a surprise to anybody. Mm -hmm. But um, one of the things that I think is probably one of the best and most reliable sources of good fact-based um, and rigorously tested um, insights is Sales Hacker, which is yes. outreaches um, kind of really media, like mini media empire now, because it's not just a blog, it's not just a newsletter, it's not just a podcast, it's a whole host of different things. They're everywhere. Um, mm -hmm. They are everywhere and they really have gotten to be um, kind of tool agnostic, right? You'll, you'll see great, great um, insights into how to do sales development um, with outreach, but you'll also see incredible sales ops analysis um, and some really interesting um, and really useful insights into hiring, training, managing, and ramping reps. Um, across all teams. Strong the, agree. Yeah, their content is just top notch. And the objectivity that you're talking about, I mean, what a much needed place they fill in the marketplace. I definitely really appreciate their comment or content. I'm glad you brought that up. What else? Yeah. Um, so the other one that I would say is modern sales pros. And what this is, is a kind of a, a salon style opportunity for sales operations and management to come together um, in their city and meet their peers to talk about the hard problems that they're working on inside their company. Mm -hmm. Because what's, what's really a challenge there is that you can always go to somebody else inside your company to talk about your job, but nobody else in your company typically has your job. And so what Modern Sales Pros really does is create physical or virtual opportunities for people who share the same job to compare notes. And I, I've found it really useful over the years. That's awesome. And I'll definitely link to both of those in the show notes. Those are great resources. Thanks, Steve. Yeah, um, anything else on that? Um, just that I would also recommend following Max Altshuler, the guy behind Sales Hacker and Pete Kazanji, um, the guy behind uh, Modern Sales Pros. Mm -hmm. They both have day, day jobs, and what, what's great about them both is that they've um, built a network and kind of media outside of their day job to help the industry move forward, which I really appreciate. 
Yeah, that's really awesome. I'll definitely link up to their social media accounts as well. How about all-time favorite business books? Ooh, uh, the Hard Thing About Hard Things, probably. Perfect. Yes. That's by Ben one. Horowitz, mm -hmm. which is, I think, a really appropriate one right now because he talks about wartime versus peacetime CEOs. Mm -hmm. And I also think um, very seriously, this is a time for wartime um, versus peacetime sales and customer leadership, um, oh, especially in the subscription economy. Mm -hmm. That's great. Another sales leader I interviewed uh, last week said that was his favorite book as well. So you're in good company. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd also say that there's, there's one other um, recommendation that's less sales specific mm -hmm. um, or less subscription specific, which is high output management. Okay. Um, and it's actually mentioned in the hard thing about hard things. Okay. And what's really useful about it is that it helps um, anybody who's in kind of a startup environment or maybe in kind of a first time management role in sales mm -hmm. to really understand the, the job that they have rather than the role or the company that they're in. And so I, I recommend high output management too. Perfect. I'll link to that as well. I haven't read that one. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, next question. Have you found running a sales team in a recurring revenue organization different than a traditional one-time transaction sale? Why or why not? You know, I got my start in sales in probably like 2004, uh, working for a hundred-year-old distributor of uh, industrial supplies in the maintenance, repair, and operations market. Probably the bo most boring and least <laughs> subscription-related <laughs> Um, industry that it's possible to find in, in, that's still operating out of North America. Mm -hmm. And um, the thing that I think really is different is the way the contracts work. Hmm. Um, because when you do it right, selling stuff on a one-time basis leads to selling more stuff to the same person over time, mm -hmm. um, which is what you want out of a subscription business as well. Um, but what you're really getting in a subscription economy setting is a contract that commits your customer to pay you over a period of time. Mm -hmm. what's, what's great about that is the reliability of the, the income stream. What's challenging about it sometimes is that you have to remember to make sure to deliver every day when, when maybe each interaction doesn't feel like a transaction. Mm. Um, and so, the the thing about McMaster Car Supply Company where I where I got my start uh, was every interaction was a transaction and it either went well or badly and you could basically tell whether or not someone had a good experience with your salesperson mm -hmm. by whether or not they actually made a purchase. Sure. Um, average order value was 128 bucks. Typical customer would buy about three or four times a month um, and generally speaking, calls led to transactions. Uh, about 90% of the time or more. So losing the sale was really a sign of a customer failure. It was really, it was really uh, very strong feedback on how to do better next time. Mm -hmm. You sometimes don't get that level of feedback in the subscription economy. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's really something to, to kind of um, focus on and make sure that you're creating opportunities to measure and manage that experience. Um, when you're in kind of a subscription setting. 
Yeah, that's great advice. We're going to come back to something along those lines here in just a second. But um, as with all this season's episodes, we're recording in the time of COVID-19. So in light of that, what changes to your projections, strategy, and sales tactics have you guys made um, with the economic challenges brought on by coronavirus? Mm. Uh, so I think renewals and payment management I don't want to say collections. I want to say payment planning, mm -hmm. I think is a better way of putting it, has really become kind of the number one priority for most subscription businesses that I talk to, mm -hmm. and especially in, in mine. Um, because I think what we're realizing is that cash is king. Yeah. And cash is really going to determine the runway that businesses have to, to pay their people to maintain their own businesses and so you have a lot of people who are reacting um, rather than um, being proactive mm -hmm. and so the the payment planning and being proactive about managing that cash flow is i think the the big adjustment that you would typically um the biggest adjustment that you that i think you'll see in a typical SaaS business or a typical subscription business mm -hmm. because you actually do now have 80% of subscription businesses that I'm aware of um, offering payment plans that don't involve uh, annual invoices, for example. Um, and that's explicitly because everybody is in this together. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a really important piece of the puzzle right now. And just having some mercy and grace for your customers. And obviously that will feed into your long-term relationships and ultimately CLTV and hopefully referrals. Um, yeah. Yeah. It really, great. it really, it really goes to what subscription businesses can do to help their um, customers stay in business long enough to pay off the rest of their bill. Right. Nobody wins if your customer goes out of business. So, yeah. Correct. Correct. Like I said, wartime versus peacetime. That's right. Mm -hmm. yep. How about what's your best advice for sales teams competing in the subscription economy right now, given the sudden economic downturn, other than as it relates to, you know, relaxing or changing payment plans? So this might sound a little bit weird, but I'm going to say it anyway. Okay. Because it's, it's one of the best pieces of business advice I've ever received, and it continues to be really good. Um, for startups and now really any size subscription business. And that is slow down to speed up. Mm. Truly slow down to speed up. I've gotten so many high bracket first name emails in the last six weeks. Mm -hmm. um, I've, got, I've been called Steve, Mike, Nate, Bill, <laughs> uh, and Gabriel, which is strange because my middle name is actually Gabriel. Um, <laughs> And in each of these cases, it came about because someone, whether it was the CEO of a company or the, the SDR who just started uh, on February 24th, mm -hmm. uh, didn't take the time to personalize at all. Yeah. They're, they're, throwing, they're, they're kind of throwing everything out there. Um, and I'm not going to use the, the inappropriate version of this one. I'll just go with the kind of PG version of this. Um, they're grasping at straws. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you've ever picked up a straw at a bar or in a restaurant and tried to break it. You've noticed that it's really easy to break a single straw. Whereas if you, if you choose to go for 10 straws and put them together, it's really hard to break it. 
but it takes a while to get those together. The more intelligence you can apply to your communications, whether they're with brand new prospects, people in your pipeline, uh, existing customers, renewals, whatever point of the customer journey you're really talking about, the more information and it, most importantly, intelligence, human intelligence, you can apply to your communications, the better. And that typically means you can't just spray and pray. So yes. <laughs> slowing down to speed up is probably the, the number one piece of advice if I only get to choose one. I think that's really great. And a lot of these interviews, I'm seeing a theme emerging of just being a human and being empathetic and being real. And if you get somebody's first name wrong on an email, they're you never no going to buy from to you. Like yeah, you're, really you're shut down <laughs> completely. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't matter. And it also doesn't matter how much uh, research into their uh, news coverage in the last couple of months you're able to do or apply to the rest of the email. You're just, you're just going to get tossed out. Absolutely. From that person again. Absolutely. No second thought about that even at yeah. all. Yeah, that's great. Slow down to speed up. Love that. How is cross-departmental communication handled at Miyagi, for instance? How intertwined is sales with product, sales with marketing, and sales with customer success? Um, inextricably. Well, first, the customer success team actually reports to me. Okay. Um, and more importantly, we have a real um, focus on teamwork at Miyagi. Mm -hmm. uh, and we talk about that in the context of workshopping. So I, I kind of admire craftsmen who make everything from craftsmen homes to beds and chairs mm -hmm. um, really well. And, and the way that you can tell that they are crafted really well is that people buy them 200 years after they were made. Mm. Um, and the way that happens, the way a workshop happens is that more than one Miyagian makes a regular time in the week to meet with another teammate to work on solving a business problem and then sharing the result of that with the rest of the company. Um, and so, you know, there are gonna be different challenges. Startups need to create things from the ground up. They're building a foundation. Um, bigger companies uh, are going to be looking at actually fixing or improving things that have been around sometimes for hundreds of years. Uh, but what really needs to happen if you're going to create a culture of continuous improvement is to really make the time for it. And mm -hmm. so about a day, um, basically five hours a week um, are applied to workshopping with internal business partners. Um, business problems that Miyagi has uh, when working with our customers. Mm -hmm. And that, that has led to creating a great process for making decisions quickly and well. Mm -hmm. It's built a great library of plays and tactics that we can run to achieve specific outcomes. And it's led to really strong and actually pretty dramatic improvements in the process that we use to accomplish yeah. all sorts of things with our customers. Mm -hmm. um, but it all happens in very small um, increments in these five hours worth of meetings every week. Basically, you think of it as Friday afternoon. Mm -hmm. It doesn't really work out to being Friday afternoon. It winds up being spread across the, the company. Mm -hmm. um, and if you, if you have any experience with Denver, it winds up being spread across the hours. Most people are out of the office for the week anyway. 
because um, you know usually around two or three o'clock on a Friday the office starts to clear out. We have um, to go ski and we have to go to the mountains. <laughs> we have to go to the mountains. We have to go mountain biking. We got to get hiking. It's really important. Yeah, fishing is my thing. Yeah. Um, but the 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 core of it is you take those four or five hours, you split them into um, thirty minute increments, and you identify the business partners or you accept the invites from your business partners um, in your team and across your departments that you need to work with in order to solve these, these business problems. And when you come up with a solution, you don't just apply it, you share it with the rest of the company so that they can understand what it is and use it again. I so, love this. Workshopping. So workshopping. Yeah. At, at uh, Uber, we had a similar process that we called jamming. Mm-hmm. And you'd, you'd be in, in the cafeteria and you'd hear all five of the people around you talking about, hey, I want to jam with you on this thing tomorrow mm-hmm. because we need to solve it. The problem there is um, what, what Uber usually meant was I need to solve this unique problem this one time really well in a way that leads to profitability. Mm-hmm. Um, the challenge there is that reusing that in other markets or other countries or other businesses was really, really hard because it was really focused on that kind of improvisation and and almost musical approach to, you know, a unique problem has a unique solution. Mm -hmm. Uh, Most subscription businesses aren't that weird. I mean, some of them are, and those are great to be a part of, but when you've got more standardization and you see the same problem over and over again, really recommend kind of a workshopping approach to it. That's really cool. My brain is just exploding with different um, benefits that I'm sure your individual employees gain and your organization from these uh, interactions day after day, week after week. I mean, what a fantastic concept. I hope everybody that listens to this goes and implements this on their team, especially, man, with customer success and talking to salespeople and marketing people, talking to salespeople, and not just at a leadership level, but, you know, drilling all the way down. um, The problem's change, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Great. Thank you for sharing that advice, Steve. That's, that's fantastic. Um, in what ways are individual members of the sales team held accountable for reaching their targets with recurring revenue customers? For example, is their pay structured in such a way that they're accountable uh, for customer retention at renewal time? Um, so the short answer is yes. Uh, the, the longer answer is every subscription business's sales team and incentive plan, I think is probably going to be different. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just because when businesses differ and business goals differ, the incentives that you're putting in front of your salespeople really need to differ. So if you're a three-year-old um, communications tool and you're using the Salesforce incentive plan, uh, there's something very, very wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what, what I will say is that I think quota is a really important tool that's common across almost all um, teams. The interesting thing being when you make the decision as a company to split out roles mm-hmm. that become responsible for retention versus upsell versus new business, mm-hmm. you typically wind up with three different incentive plans and um, people who are very, very, very focused on their incentives as opposed to other people's. Um, and so when you're in, in kind of a wartime setting like we're in right now, um, getting a 
account executive or account manager who's not responsible for retention, for example, to pay attention to uh, payment plans and um, kind of renewal prep can be a real challenge. Um, and so the, the second thing that I would really recommend is taking the time to think through whether this year um, retention and payment planning is really a job for everybody who uh, works with customers. Mm-hmm. Uh, as opposed to traditionally it being a finance function or an account management or even sometimes success function. Right. Yeah, that's a great thing for companies to consider right now. That's a good point. How do you guys coach your sales team up on properly setting expectations for recurring revenue customers? You know, those who are continuing to make the decision to buy from you month after month, year after year. You know, this is one of the most interesting consequences of, and actually um, tells about whether a company has a great uh, collaborative culture. Mm -hmm. If you've got the same expectations in the sales pitch that you have in the onboarding experience Mm -hmm. that you have in the ongoing success experience and that you have in the, in the retention and renewal experience, then chances are relatively good that everybody who owns those interactions has been talking to each other and setting and resetting the expectations based on kind of practical reality, what's possible, right? Yeah. They've been workshopping. Um, Yeah. They've been workshopping. Mm -hmm. And when, and the more those things differ, the, more siloed your customer team probably is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the, the thing I would really, it's, it's funny, we're, we're actually kind of two thirds of the way through what we call the project red thread, which is this kind of visualization of the idea that you're drawing a red line through those first qualification conversations through pitch and actual contracting into the first onboarding all the way through to not just the go live date, but actually to the renewal date mm-hmm. uh, and looking at all of the expectations you're setting and all the messaging that you're using to set it and adjusting it to line up. It doesn't have to be the same messaging, but the expectation thresholds and what you're uh, tying those thresholds to, what, what the metrics actually are for success need to line up through that whole experience. Um, and so that was, a, that was a leadership project. But one of the things that we do basically weekly is that success and, and account management and salespeople uh, talk about the messaging that they're using to pitch Miyagi uh, and adjust as they learn from product um, and support what's mm-hmm. working out and what's not or what's coming and what's delayed. Yeah, the communication piece and, is so key. And so it's it's a really it's a really important thing that really doesn't have kind of a, a magic answer. There's this is one of my favorite things from the hard thing about hard things. There is no silver bullet solution to expectation setting, just mm-hmm. lead ones. And you need lots of them. Yes. Yeah, good point, Steve. Um, thanks. Yeah. Anything else to add to that or is that it? No, that's it. Okay. Are you guys currently in a hiring freeze? Uh, we are. How do you guys source talent? I mean, that's, that's cool. I feel like 80% of people are right now. Um, How do you guys source talent when you are looking? 
what works, what doesn't work? Well, I have to admit as a, as a sales leader for the last decade, one of my favorites is actually to um, bring the folks who have come along with me along with me. Yeah. Um, and so I, I really, I don't think that it makes a lot of sense because one of the things that happens with some sales leaders is that they um, bring the people who were on their team at their last company mm-hmm. to, to the new company as their sales leaders. It's almost like, I'll give you a promotion if you come to join me. Mm. Um, or I'll give you the role that you want if you come join me. Mm-hmm. And so the, the thing that I, the first thing that I recommend is bringing people who already do the job and you know do the job extraordinarily well yeah with you to do the job they do extraordinarily well not Mm -hmm. some other version of it where they're going to be learning on the job Mm -hmm. on your time Mm -hmm. um and the the second one is we actually really strongly um encourage internal promotion rather than hiring external managers Mm -hmm. um that's a very big decision, I think, in the fundamental culture of a of an organization. Um, yes. And you'll always bring in 10 to 20% of management from the outside because you need new ideas. Um, but when you, when you drop below kind of 40%, you're really looking at kind of um, blocking off the careers of the people that you, you brought into the organization. So the second mm-hmm. thing is promoting from within rather than hiring from, from, from without um, for the most part. Yeah, and that's a great the, retention and recruiting strategy to show that you actually retire or run, that you hire from within. Um, it's great that you can sh- actually show people a career trajectory rather than yeah, everybody jump ship every two years so they can go get promoted at another organization. So that's great insurance for you guys. Absolutely. And then the, the other thing is I think the the there's two basic approaches to hiring in subscript in the subscription economy and i kind of call it the vc backed and the the private equity backed approaches okay where the private equity backed approach is going to try to hire people who've done the job already um or people who've uh had at least a couple of years sales experience at 20 percent below the market average Whereas the thing you typically see in VC-backed is there's an entry-level role in each uh, department or on each team where you're looking for people who've done something more with their lives, where they've been in a closing role, but you're hiring them for sales development, where they've um, been managers, but you're putting them into individual contributor roles, things like that, where where it looks like you're taking them back a step. Mm-hmm. But it's really because you're taking them back to their roots, the things that they've proven they've done really well, um, and you pay them 20% more than the industry, the kind of role or market average. Um, and I really I appreciate the the VC backed approach because it leads to extraordinary talent at the bottom of the the org chart rather mm-hmm. than just at the top. Mm-hmm. Um, and that leads to the opportunity to do all this internal hiring and career pathing yeah. uh, and creating these incredibly tenacious um, team focused uh, 
individual contributors and, and just um, customer teams in general. So. That's great. That hasn't been brought up yet. And I appreciate you sharing that approach. Um, it can be a good one for sure. When you guys do hire externally, how do you test for cultural fit? Mm. Um, so we actually, we ask people to uh, get into a workshop with the someone who they would be working with nice. in the new role. Mm -hmm. um, where the problem's really clearly defined, the time frame's pretty clearly defined, who owns the decision and is going to be implementing it and so on. Um, but now you have to actually go through the process of brainstorming and getting something done um, in a set period of time because we don't, we don't look for good or perfect. We just look for done in the, in the context of... Uh, one of these workshop sessions, mm -hmm. because there's always going to be more workshop sessions where you can continue to improve it. Um, and so we're looking for teamwork in that setting. Mm -hmm. We're looking for collaboration ideas and really the, the creativity to get started and then to finish something. Um, and the, the creativity around getting started usually turns out to be the hardest part, um, but sometimes it's actually just the, the finishing of it and the discipline around that, that turns out to be um, the, the gap that we find in a candidate. Nice. I would love that you said that you're looking for um, not perfect, but done. I'm literally drinking tea out of a mug right now that says done is better than perfect. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's cool that you guys uh, throw candidates into your workshop shopping sessions. I mean, you've already got your culture is, is, is there. It sounds like it's kind of embodied in this workshopping experience. And um, if you don't fit into that, there's no way you're going to succeed at your organization. So what a great test fit. That's, that's fantastic. All right. We've got just two more questions left. Uh, what's one to three pieces of advice you'd give other sales VPs competing in the subscription economy? And what would you have said pre COVID-19? <laughs> uh, that's a good question. That's a good question. Um, so the three pieces of advice I would give right now are up-level your pipeline conversations. Mm. Um, when sales development and account executive types are on the phone uh, with decision makers today, those decision makers are very often the CFOs and CEOs of their companies mm -hmm. because that, that's where the decision about whether or not to do anything new really resides right now. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. When, when they have those conversations alone, the conversation can be uh, unbalanced in a bad way. Um, so getting sales managers, sales directors, uh, VPs of customer success, your own CFO, your own CEO on the phone with these customers and doing it much earlier in the process, not just the negotiation, but probably even the expectation setting around during the pitch mm -hmm. um, really makes a lot of sense in a wartime environment like this, where the reins on the, the purse uh, really have been handed over to a very small group of people. Yes. And those people tend to be senior leaders. Mm -hmm. So um, match matching, you know, we, we talk about mirroring a lot in, in sales, but matching that level and that seniority in the conversation, Mm -hmm. at the right moment and, and that earlier moment now 
is I think uh, a really important thing. The second thing, and, and that means setting aside a day or two a week, even for the CEO of the company, right? And so that's, that's a big change typically. Yeah. Um, the second thing would be um, making the, the case for crisis response, work from home, um, and remote use cases of almost every subscription product seems to be the uh, kind of priority of every subscription product right now. Mm -hmm. And it is not true that every subscription product is ideally necessary. Like, sorry, but razors aren't required for crisis response. <laughs> um, you know, uh, and sometimes even the, the, the idea that COVID-19 means you have to buy software has become this kind of like hopeful new trend in a lot of sales prospecting kind of conversations and, and message tracks that mm -hmm. I've heard lately because um, I typically accept sales calls from salespeople. Mm -hmm. uh, that's crazy. Figure out what your company is really good at. Figure mm -hmm. out who really benefits from doing that thing and have those elevated more senior conversations with them that's because, right because yeah yeah value value um, value value and the the core competence is like this weird 80s management phrase thing but it's really true if your if your product is really good at delivering invoices on time to a bunch of people in a bunch of different languages at a bunch of different times throughout the year that's a really valuable thing. Talking about it just in the context of the, that payment planning for people who are laying off people in the COVID-19 pandemic mm -hmm. is going to make people nervous, not encouraged. You, you, need a, you need to remember that this is a temporary state right. and people still need to plan for the long term for their businesses. So, and that goes back to expectation setting, like we were talking earlier. Um, you know, if you're kind of planting your flag in the ground on the crisis sale, then you're probably not going to keep that customer for very long. Exactly, exactly. And that actually leads me to my last piece of advice, which is customers you've lost and customers who've said no to you in the last year, typically sales teams and salespeople stay away from them for a while. It's kind of like, resting them, right? Like letting a field sit fallow for a little while before you put a new crop in it. Mm -hmm. um, but those people have relationships with you. Those people made a decision in an environment that did not involve a global pandemic. And there's, there's a reasonable chance that if you were talking to them because there was a real business case for your product in their organization, it just wasn't the right time that they that they would be able to tell you at least when the right time is now in a way that they wouldn't be able to six months or a year ago yes i like that revisiting so those lost just, deals mm -hmm. yeah the the close lost and churn customers mm -hmm. from the last couple of years are now um, much more precious to you than they were six months ago 
No kidding. Yeah. It's people with pre-existing relationships are vitally important to a pipeline right now. Those are all really good pieces of advice. Is that any different than what you would have said outside of this crisis? Um, so what I, what I would have said before this crisis is exploring new use cases and exploring um, how to set new expectations that lead to um, perceived value on the part of customers and prospects mm -hmm. is is the number one opportunity for a sales organization that gets overlooked. Yeah. Um, and that means workshopping messaging, changing your message, changing your expectations, and exploring new use cases in new industries and how they fit with your product um, is really a, a, a strong opportunity. Market expansion is a really important job. Um, it, it's just not a... It's just not a really high priority one right now. Right. And, and that definitely points back to that uh, really excellent cross-departmental communication and a feedback loop with um, product marketing, customer success, and sales. Um, who's doing what? How are people using this? How do we turn that into um, exactly. customer success stories and case studies and feedback, feed that back into our marketing approach and our sales approach? And um, yeah, that's great advice, I think. I could be used anytime as well. It's, it's a good time right now if people need to be working on their businesses and getting back to the basics and getting creative, getting their hands dirty in stuff like that. This is a perfect time to go in and, and, and see, you know, if there are holes that you can fill. So that's, that's a great reply, Steve. I like that. Thanks. Last question. Um, I'm a firm believer that sales makes the world go round and we have a tremendous responsibility to get the economy moving again. How can we speed up that process? Stay home. Yes. Stay home. I love that. That hasn't been said yet. Of course. <laughs> the, the, the terrible thing about this time is that it's hard. The, the thing I think most people fail to realize is the, the less serious we take it, the longer this period in our lives will, will stretch on. Mm -hmm. So the more severe the experience we can have, the shorter the experience will be. Yep. Um, and so my, my recommendation is, you know, don't put enterprise salespeople on a plane for the rest of the year, mm -hmm. right? Um, figure out how to deliver more value in a remote onboarding and a remote consultation and a remote uh, QBR and a remote uh, presentation and contract negotiation than you've been delivering in person. Mm -hmm. And that's really challenging because 80% of communication is not verbal. But if and when you figure it out, doing hard things means that you're now differentiated from your competition. Exactly. Yeah, that's great. I appreciate you reiterating that uh, stay at home point. And, you know, for a while, as a person with a severely hampered immune system and autoimmune disease, I, I definitely would like everyone to stay home because that could be a really, really difficult thing for me if I get this. So thank you. Very welcome. And thank you again to Steve Smith of Miyagi for his insights and advice. Check out the show notes on subscriptioncoach.com slash podcast and sign up for my email newsletter where I read, curate, and summarize the best content on subscription sales and sales team recruiting on the web every week on subscriptioncoach.com. We'll see you next time on the Sales in the Subscription Economy podcast.